Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 218, Was Jesus a Mushroom? Yeah, you heard what I said. No, I haven't finally lost my mind, or what's left of it anyway. There's a fringe theory that suggests that Christianity may have started out as a kind of mushroom fertility cult, and that Jesus wasn't a real person, but rather a, yep, sacramental mushroom. And before I go any deeper, I'd like to thank my friend Crocoduck, aka Humorbot, for inspiring me to do this episode. I think I may have heard of this Jesus mushroom theory in passing before, possibly on the Joe Rogan podcast, or something like that, but Crocoduck recently made me aware of the controversial scholar behind the theory. His name's John Marco Allegro. A really interesting guy who was born in South London in 1923, he served in the British Navy during World War II, went on to become an officer. After the war, he started training to become a Methodist minister, but became drawn towards the study of language, particularly Greek and Hebrew. He'd eventually graduate from Manchester University with an honors degree in Oriental Studies. Are we still allowed to say Oriental? Uh, He gained a reputation as a philologist, basically a person who studies and analyzes written language as it's found in historical sources, etc. Now, most of you listening are probably aware of the Dead Sea Scrolls, a cache of nearly 1,000 ancient texts, some relatively intact but most of them fragmented, discovered in the caves of Qumran between 1946 and 1956, Qumran is located by the Dead Sea in what is the modern West Bank. Uh, The writings belong to the Essenes, an ancient ascetic Jewish sect also known as the Dead Sea Community. The scrolls vary in age, ranging between about the 3rd century BCE, before Common Era, all the way up into the 1st century of the Common Era. Uh, Among the scrolls are copies or versions of books found in the Hebrew Bible, as well as some extra-biblical texts. So a very important discovery, both religiously and archaeologically speaking. I believe it was in 1953 that Allegro was asked to join a team of experts charged with piecing together and translating the scroll fragments at the aptly named Scrollery in uh, Jerusalem. And uh, on a side note, I believe Allegro was the only member of the team who wasn't a practicing Christian. I believe he said something to the effect, like a lot of us, I think I was just talking about this last week, that basically studying religion had kind of eroded his faith. In 1956, he publicized one of the texts he had worked on, what has come to be known as the Copper Scroll. He interpreted it as referring to a so-called teacher of righteousness, a messianic figure predating Jesus, who Allegro believed was crucified and whose followers awaited his end-time return. In response, his colleagues quickly issued the following statement. It is our conviction that either he, Allegro, has misread the text, or he has built up a chain of conjectures which the materials do not support. Although Allegro would continue to work in and visit the scrollery, he reported a lingering feeling of hostility or tension from his colleagues. In 1970, he published a book entitled The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, a study of the nature and origins of Christianity within the fertility cults of the ancient Near East. As you might imagine, the book was considered to be highly controversial. 
The publisher even ceased its printing and issued a public apology for having published it in the first place. The book wouldn't be printed again until its 40th anniversary. The controversy would also drive Allegro to resign from his university position. The following quote is a response to the book that appeared in Time magazine. To some biblical scholars in Britain, the new book looked like the psychedelic ravings of a hippie cultist. To others, it was merely an outlandish hoax. One described it as reading, like a Semitic philologist's erotic nightmare. I now want to play you some Allegro clips and give you a chance to hear the man in his own words, explaining himself uh, much more eloquently than I could on his behalf. The first one is really short, under a minute, and for the most part I'm just playing it for its comedic value. It's from a really old interview show where the host seems absolutely perplexed and indignant in reaction to Allegro's mushroom theory. Uh, here we go. I'm puzzled. Uh, are you really seriously suggesting that Jesus Christ was a mushroom? Uh, put pretty blankly, yes. Surely you don't suggest that Jesus Christ and his various disciples were not human creatures. Yes. You are dealing with a, a secret cult, a secret society. The stories of the New Testament contain certain incantations, certain magic names, were, which were really the names of the mushrooms. No, but and the writers, the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these men who wrote the mm. story, you are telling me they did not exist? No. None of them exist. No, it's part of mythology. It's part of mushroom mythology. Mushroom mythology, all right. So, okay, uh, this next one is from another old interview. I believe it's conducted in Allegro's house. And the two guests ask him the question, what is religion? And whatever you think of Allegro's theories, you have to admit he's incredibly intelligent and well-spoken. And there's a certain charisma or charm about him. I absolutely love the first part of this clip where he philosophizes about human evolution and the origins of religion or belief in God. During the second half, he starts going into the mushroom stuff. But uh, here it goes. And our first question, I think, should be, what is religion? Or what was religion? That's a big enough question to start off with. Yeah. I'm one of those people, you know, who think that most of our motivation, most of our thinking, derives from our biological origins. The way we evolved is the way we are living and thinking now. And I think this certainly goes for such things as family life and sexual relationships. I think it's also for religion too. I think we have to go back right into the beginnings of what how man became man out of the ape stage um, to know why he needs a being greater than himself why he felt insecure I think we can see this in his evolving from a four four-footed four creature into a two-footed creature and he stands up and he looks up a great across the savannah for the first time and begins to feel that he could be master of all that he surveys and at the same time begins to feel fearful because he is then at loggerheads with the rest of creation and the more intelligent he became the more his brain developed the more he felt responsibility for running his own life and at the same time he put himself into opposition with his fellow creatures and i think at that stage he began to feel and feel more that he needed some support. And I suspect that the first ideas of God 
were being born in this primitive creature ooh, 25 million years ago where he first stemmed off from the other ape um, uh, line of uh, descent uh, as early as that mm -hmm. and then this has developed later as as man became more clever he became more unsure and began to look for some supporting creature or power in the universe Hmm. I think the important thing is that religion is close to sex and is as powerful as sex, you know. I think mm. we underestimate the power of religion. Now and again we see it in its full naked brutality as well as its glory, but uh, there is this other side to religion which I think we see in the Eastern religions more perhaps than we do in our rather conventional Western Christianity. And then we 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 realize how emotionally set Christianity is. It derives from within, you know, as I mean by being biologically uh, motivated. You're talking about a fertility cult. The, the first yes. primitive form was a fertility cult. That's right. The, the, the first image of mankind, of a god, is a sexual one. I think it is. Yes, I think yes. it is. Because when he looks for the origin of creation, I mean, all this is feeling, but then he begins to rationalize and begins to think about this, this great force and this great creative um, deity, where in the skies or in the earth, male or female, uh, and he thinks of it in human terms. He no other terms to think it of. So when he thinks of a creator God, he thinks of the creative act in mankind or in animal kind, and he relates the two. So he says, well, God creates life on earth by an ejaculation of sperm in the form of rain, which mm -hmm. he sees around him every day. If he's in a happy country like the Isle of Man, where it rains all the time. Mm. But, you know, I mean, he sees it happening. He sees it going into the womb of Mother Earth. And he relates the two. And so he sees the creation of Mother Earth, the plants of Mother Earth, as an offspring of God. These are the children of God. And then, of course, you go to another stage, don't you? You go to, talking about my mushroom book, you begin to see how certain plants are more representative of their heavenly father than others and that is those plants that have the power to make alive or to kill the poison plants or the hallucinatory plants the drug plants and if in the, as in the case of the mushroom which was always invested with great mystery because it seemed to be born of a virgin birth if you see this coming out of the ground and you know that if you ate a particular mushroom it could give you visions of heaven and God, you may well believe that this was indeed the Son of God. And if it's, fa if it's shaped like a penis, like a phallus, he sees, well, surely this is the little God. The little God indeed. Uh, he goes on to talk about how he believes Amanita muscaria, a particular type of psychedelic mushroom known for its colorful appearance. It's bright red and covered in white spots or some type of growths or something, uh, was probably imported into the Near East in a dried form and used in the ceremonies of various Mediterranean or Near Eastern religions, including Judaism. 
In fairness to Allegro, psychedelic mushroom use is thought to go way back into prehistory. And there are these kind of shamanic or visionary cave or rock paintings that depict horned deities or human-like figures covered in mushrooms, etc. And many ancient cultures did use mind-altering plants in an entheogenic capacity, in a religious context. But how he knows, or knew rather, unfortunately John Allegro passed away in the 1980s, that Amanita muscaria was used by ancient Jews in religious ceremonies, and this practice eventually gave way to a drug cult that would end up being one and the same with Christianity. I mean, it just seems like he's making a lot of logical leaps without any solid evidence, in my humble opinion. But I'll play another clip from that same interview. Here he's talking about the nature of Christianity and what he sees as the kind of mystical mushroom symbolism in the New Testament. I mean, Christianity isn't always a headache for the historian because it seems so different from what went before. If in fact it can be seen as part of a continuing secret tradition which went on and through the Old Testament stories and some of these old myths and legends that you get in the Old Testament with roots going right back into ancient Sumer of the fourth century, fourth millennium, and perhaps much earlier than that. The thing was becoming a nicely complete picture. And that's really what the sacred mushroom was about. Uh, next question is perhaps uh, what is really told in the New Testament? Well, the story we all know its face story yeah. is of a rabbi going around saying nice things and comforting things to people and calling people to his name and telling everybody to be awfully good to one another and love one another and so on. That's the picture that's come over. I think underneath that there are code names being purveyed for the names of the mushrooms and, and also invocatory names used in the secret cells that the Romans were always after breaking up, you remember? Perhaps a better question in that case is why was the Bible written me? Waarom werd de Bijbel? Why write it, it at all? Yes. Yeah, right, uh, well, I think it was simply a cover story. Mm -hmm. I think you see that the, it was the Gospels that were circulated, not the Pauline letters at first. It was the, the Gospels that were first circulated in some form. Of course, we haven't got the originals. What we have are traditions of a good deal later time and written in a wrong language, as it were. But the kind of thing which a, a Roman investigator could pick up anywhere and read about this man with strangely pro-Roman feelings for a Jew at that time when you know, they were very, very antagonistic towards their, their political masters, uh, and, and seemingly um, crucified on the instigation of the Jews, as the story goes, for reasons that could only but puzzle the Roman mm -hmm. masters, you see. There's the picture. But in that story, there are certain passages, certain lines, certain so-called Aramaic phrases, which are given translations like um, the names of the twins, Boanerges, which is supposed to mean um, sons of thunder. Now, no philologist living could ever find fun sons of thunder out of a so-called apparent Aramaic name, Boanerges. It doesn't mean that. But sons of thunder is a name of the sacred mushroom, the Koranium of ancient um, Greek and Latin. Mm -hmm. 
And the Boanerges is something else, which I've tried to explain in my book. In other words, you have a number of such passages in the New Testament where you have an Aramaic name, and then you have a translation, inverted commas, supposedly a translation, which has never joined up. They've never made mm. sense. Now I think, if you look at that Aramaic name and think, well, perhaps it's not Aramaic, but an early invocatory name, a magic name, which in certain circumstances could be pronounced and made powerful, then, um, then right, you purvey that because your, your centre of your cult has been destroyed, as mm -hmm. it was, of course, Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70. You have a number of cells in the outlying districts around the Mediterranean. You want to keep them in touch. You want to remind them of their, their secrets but you don't purvey it in written form. So what do you do? You put these names and phrases into a cover story that can be purveyed. And that, I think, is what the New Testament is. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is a good case because the first words, Our Father who art in heaven, is in Aramaic the equivalent of that magic phrase that came to us in another context, abracadabra. Mm. Abracadabra, abadabarakia in Aramaic would mean our Father which art in heaven. So that's where abracadabra. A, a, every child knows. Every child knows, exactly. And they are very old. Uh, it is. Very, very old. And abracadabra is in fact 2nd century AD uh, in its earliest, and it's probably even earlier than that. It is a magic phrase which, used in certain magic circumstances or powerful cultic circumstances, could have a beneficial effect. Yeah, as we can say that uh, in the beginning, the Christianity is a is a drug cult. Then we came to the question: uh, What is it now? Mm. In, yes, in moral and ethic. Uh, yes, quite. And for most people, I suppose Christianity is a way of life rather than mm. a religion. Yes, yes, it's yes, enormous yes. discrepancy. Yes, yes, yes. And one wonders how on earth a small very inward-looking drug cult be could become a world religion with a lot of power. power. Yes, exactly. Power. Uh, what's left over of that origin uh, of Christianity in the church of today? I think perhaps... Mm. Uh, That's interesting, it, isn't it? Because... First, uh, in, in eerste instantie denk ik dat toch aan, aan bread and wine. Ah, that, that yes. kind of ritual. Uh, yes, because that... Is that original? Uh, that is not original to the church. That, that bread and wine sacrament is yes. in the Dead Sea Scrolls already in the pre-Christian time. They talk of the, the bread and the wine of this messianic banquet, the, the Christ banquet, when, mm. when all the followers will be gathered at the foot of the Christ and they would be partaking of the bread and the wine. But... Nowhere in Judaism, not even in the Dead Sea Scrolls, do you get this extraordinary idea that the bread and the wine were actually the Christ himself. It's cannibalism. It's all yeah. cannibalism. Yeah, yeah. But you can see how in a sect which is dedicated to the eating of the Son of God and the becoming of one with the God through consuming the God, the sacred mushroom, that would make sense. If you were yes. distributing among them pieces of the mushroom and they were eating it they would blow their top or whatever they mm -hmm. do 
Um, yes. Then they would be consider that they had become one with God, and oh. there would be a sense in which they were eating the God. So I just wanted to make a quick note. I don't know if anyone else caught it, but Allegro claims that the Gospels came before the letters of Paul. I think the modern consensus is that the epistles of Paul were written before the Gospels. Uh, I could be right. I could be wrong. If you're a Bible geek out there, uh, please uh, let me know. Chime in with your two cents. But anyway, so once again, I see a lot of jumping to conclusions, specifically regarding the assumption that Christianity was a drug cult or started out as a drug cult. And if you're a regular listener of the show, then you've probably heard me say that I'm on the fence when it comes to the historicity of Jesus. On the one hand, I have no problem imagining that there really could have been this wandering, charismatic Jewish teacher named Jesus or Yeshua who founded the sect or movement that would become Christianity. And in fact, the ancient world was rife with such charismatic figures, supposedly. On the other hand, as a skeptic and a non-believer, I can also imagine that a historical Jesus may not have existed. And maybe, maybe as the mythicists posit, he could have been based on other myths. I'm open to either possibility, just give me some solid evidence either way. But Jesus as a mushroom, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. As I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of ancient cultures that use hallucinogenic plants as sacraments. And in fact, there's still quote-unquote primitive uh, or indigenous peoples today that use hallucinogenic plants as sacraments. But my problem is the seeming lack of evidence. Now, I have to admit that as a philologist specializing in Hebrew and Greek, I'm sure John Allegro sure knew a hell of a lot more about biblical or Near Eastern languages and the etymology of certain words than I do as a layman. And that's the thing. He dangles this intriguing idea that certain biblical words or names can be traced back etymologically to the point where they have some mushroom association. And yet I'm not really seeing strong evidence in that regard that's able to ultimately back up his theory. But once again, who knows? If he's right, maybe Christianity should bring the mushrooms back. I'm sure church attendance would skyrocket. I almost forgot to mention this one other factor. There are images, especially in medieval art, I think, of Jesus or other figures featuring mushrooms. And I'll probably include some examples in the YouTube version. Sometimes it takes a lot of imagination to see what some are saying are mushrooms. In other cases, it's much more obvious, and there's no doubt that what you're looking at is clearly intended to be seen as a mushroom. I tried to do a search for mushroom symbolism in Christianity or Christian art, and most of the results had to do with Allegro's Jesus mushroom theory or the work of a professor by the name of John Rush, who I believe supports Allegro's theory and has collected examples of Christian mushroom imagery. So why are there mushrooms in these sacred or religious paintings, some of them in basilicas, etc.? I have no idea. It would seem to be a check in the Allegro column. But who knows, they could have some other symbolic value or could be indicative of some idiosyncratic aspect of the painting style of the day. It's all very bizarre. So last week it was Graham Hancock. This week it's a theory about Jesus being a mushroom. Some weird topics, I know. And next week, I think, will also be a weird one. I'm going to look at Ian Stevenson's research into reincarnation. 
All right, so I'm going to slap a bow on this episode and call it a wrap. I'm behind on the shout-outs, so next week I'll catch up with the Facebook uh, likes and also give a very special shout-out to a very generous couple who recently made a donation to the show. So you know the drill. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes. You can check out the archives at podbean.com. Just look for The Week in Doubt. And if you'd like to help the show out monetarily, um, maybe someday I'll be able to quit my day job. Not likely, but hey, I can dream. Uh, you can either use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's that alliteration. Or go to patreon.com slash theweekinddoubt. And you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, until next week. And I'm going to play a little bit of a song I couldn't resist. It's just perfect. And hopefully the artist, whose name, unfortunately, I don't know, uh, doesn't take offense at me using it, should they somehow become aware. All right. There was a scholar from England got a call from the Pope He said, come on down to the Vatican To analyze the Dead Sea Scrolls For twenty years he labored All alone in a little room And when he came out He promptly pronounced That Jesus was a mushroom Jesus was a mushroom, uh-huh Jesus was a mushroom, uh-huh. He was a fungus.